I'm Richard Liu, director of Young Progressives of Columbus, and you're listening to the YPC Podcast, where we discuss the issues within the state of Indiana, the town of Columbus, and the world as a whole. Last Friday was National Gun Violence Awareness Day, and gun violence prevention advocates around the United States wore orange to represent their movement. Less than a month and a half ago, Indianapolis was rocked by a mass shooting that occurred less than 15 minutes from where a friend of mine lives. Today, YPC member Akshaya Sabapathy speaks to gun control advocates to answer important questions like, what gun control laws work? Why does Chicago, a city with severe gun restrictions, suffer from so much gun violence? And how close are we to a future free from mass shootings? First of all, uh, if you'd mind introducing yourselves really quickly, just so like our audience can know who I'm talking to, that'd be, that'd be really cool. Okay, I'm Rachel Goyomo, and I'm a volunteer leader with the Indiana chapter of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. I'm Julie Wagner. I live here in Columbus, and I lead our local um, Columbus group for the Moms Demand Action um, organization. First of all, uh, we know about the tragedy that happened um, in Indianapolis. So can you go ahead and walk me through what happened on April 15th at the FedEx facility near the Indianapolis airport? Sure. Well, um, a 19-year-old former employee of the FedEx facility in Indianapolis drove onto the grounds at around 11 p.m., got out of his car, and began shooting. He used illegally purchased semi-automatic rifles, which in Indiana were also perfectly legal for him to carry. And about two minutes later, eight people were dead and seven others wounded, several seriously both outside the facility and inside. Four of them were from Indiana's sick community, and there's some indication that the shooter had shown interest in white supremacist groups, although that's still under investigation. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that that happened, especially so close to home. It's kind of hard hitting. And do you think that this shooting could have been prevented in any way? Like what measures do you think could have gone in to make sure that this wouldn't have happened? Well, we know that Indiana has some of the laxest gun laws in the country, and we know that uh, gun violence prevention laws work in the states that have them. So yes, we can say that, um, that uh, stronger gun laws would certainly um, have made this incident much less likely. Uh, the shooter was in fact known to the police and the FBI because his mother had come to them about a year ago in March of 2020 to express her concern after he brought a shotgun that he had talked about suicide by cop. Uh, the police seized the shotgun at that time with the consent of the family 
But the young man was able to go out and purchase two more guns just a few months later, and this time he bought semi-automatic rifles. Uh, Indiana has a red flag law, but uh, it has several loopholes in it uh, that impeded implementation of the law in this case. So our red flag, red flag law could be uh, a lot stronger than it is. Unfortunately, it's been weakened since it was adopted um, due to the determined efforts of the gun lobby at our legislature. A quick editor's note. A red flag law is a gun control law that allows for a court to order an individual give up their firearms temporarily if their family or police deem them to be unsafe to themselves or others. Um, so that law could be stronger, but it's really a web of laws, of complex of laws that, um, that work to reduce gun violence. So why was this young man able to purchase long guns, semi-automatic rifles at the age of 19? Why was he able to carry them and to feel confident carrying them in public onto the grounds of a, of a, of a work facility? Um, why would it have been easy for him to buy those semi-automatic rifles even if uh, the red flag, red flag law had been implemented? It's because we don't uh, enforce background checks on every gun cell here in Indiana. So there's a range of things that we could be and should be doing. You know, Rachel, it seems like since this particular shooting and this young man's involvement with our red flag law, there's been a lot of discussion of it. Um, there's, I've heard a couple different really good podcasts about it um, recently. And, you know, sometimes it's touted as, hey, look, in Indiana, we have this one great law. Like, that's going to solve all of our problems. As you mentioned, we need lots of different um, laws. Um, there's not one silver bullet that's going to fix this. Um, and if we think about our red flag law, I think it was enacted in 2005, if I'm not mistaken, after the shooting of, right. there was a police officer named Jake Laird who was killed in 2004. This law is often referred to as the Jake Laird law. Um, you know, we've, we've learned a lot of things since 2005 about gun violence prevention and, you know, that law has been put in place. Um, Prosecutor Mears had a press conference about it recently and talked about some of the limitations of that law. Um, you know, we need to listen to the, the, the folks on the ground um, who are trying to prevent gun violence and, um, you know, improve where we can. There's lots of different fronts that we could improve, especially in Indiana. We don't have, um, we don't have strong gun violence prevention laws on the books. Um, and I want to bring it back a little bit. I think, Rachel, you made an interesting point about how um, we have like some of the most lax gun laws, and that's why our gun violence is um, is up there. Um, but um, there's also a lot of like statements from some people that Chicago, they use Chicago as a big example about how they have some of the strictest gun laws in the country, but yet their violence is so, so far out there. Do you care to comment on that or do you have any like opinions on what actually happens or that is a really uh, tired talking point yeah. and in fact it's a great proof of why we need strong federal legislation because the fact that uh, the gun laws don't work in Chicago has a lot to do with the fact that Indiana has lax gun laws yeah. because if the strict gun laws in Illinois prevent you from purchasing a firearm you're in a restricted category for example all you have to do is cross the border into Indiana and bingo. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really short drive. 
And in fact, um, we, Indiana, um, contribute the largest percentage of out-of-state crime guns used in Chicago. So we bear direct responsibility. Our failure to implement strong gun laws uh, has a direct bearing on gun violence in Chicago. So if you were a senator or a congresswoman, um, what legislation would you put forward or what would you back? Closing the background check loophole, so requiring a background check on every gun sale is um, one, of the, one of the pieces of low-hanging fruit, right? We know it's effective. We know that in states that have adopted this legislation, gun violence rates go down across the board. So uh, we're not just talking about homicides, but we're talking about police shootings. We're talking about domestic violence. We're talking about unintentional shootings. And we're talking about gun suicide, which by the way is, is um, the form of gun violence that takes the most lives in Indiana and across the, and across the country um, every year. And we know that uh, adopting strong background check legislation brings that rate down. You know, so one bill, oh, I'm sorry, Rachel. No, one no, bill ahead. that was introduced in the Indiana uh, Assembly this year that did not go forward for a vote was a safe storage bill um, requiring people to keep their um, firearms and am ammunition locked up. Um, this is sort of a such a low bar of asking people to be responsible gun owners. Um, you know, we, we hear every day about like children getting access to firearms and accidentally shooting, you know, themselves or other children. Um, also teen suicide, as Rachel mentioned, um, suicide by gun is a, is a huge area of gun violence. Um, you know, just let's not make those firearms um, readily at people's fingertips that shouldn't be getting to them. So uh, last year I did do a report on gun or gun control across several different countries. Um, and the country that I was tasked with talking about was Japan and their gun control and how they had to have man there's mandatory training. Um, you have to have special licenses. The police knew where you kept the gun in your house. Um, the bullets and ammunition were kept separately um, and you had to be over a certain age. Do you foresee anything like that happening? We definitely have, um, we have a series of steps that we have to take in this country. If you look at where we are now, we're very far from um, you know, the situation that you just described in every way. Um, and we have to have this conversation as a country, right? We have to decide whether we're willing to tolerate these levels of gun violence in exchange for a completely unfettered approach to gun ownership. And the indications are that we're, we're not willing to accept this level of, of gun violence. Um, more and more people are speaking up and speaking out about that. We're not willing to, to tolerate this level. So what can we do about it? Uh, and we have to have the conversation about what we can do and how we can do it in a way that balances um, you know, the, the, the rights that others are asserting. And background checks and permitting and gun safety, you know, these are things that we have broad agreement on. Uh, we just have to demand that our legislators uh, act in our interest and uh, faithfully in response to, to our demands. Um, so that's where we are in this country at this point. We're trying to close that gap between how Americans feel and what they want and what, what our legislators are doing.
in our name. And, you know, once that conversation has been initiated, then we, we study the issue. Yeah, we, we, we determine what's effective uh, and we adopt measures that are effective and that uh, we can win support for. It's a process, uh, but we have to begin that process. And adopting a strong background check legislation is a very important starting point. I think another argument that I've been hearing a lot is the fact that if we do put a ban on certain types of weapons, that there will be a black market for them. One thing that's important that Rachel hinted at was the using data and research to understand what works and what doesn't work to actually curb real gun violence that's happening. You know, um, we can all have these thought experiments about you know what might happen if we banned this or did that or enacted this but we we need to know what actually does work and i was heartened to see recently there there was a little bit of federal money finally granted for studying gun violence as a public health issue and we haven't had any research done at the federal level in a long time um, but I think it behooves us if we as a nation are going to lose this many people to gun violence um, to figure out what are the best ways um, to go after this that will work, you know, and that the American people will accept. Um, and that kind of like brings me to the next question. Like, do, do you think that we're heading in the right direction when it comes to legislation or, you know, curtailing gun violence at all? One thing we like to say is this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? It is not a one time you're going to call, make a call to one of your legislators, legislators and then be, be done with this work. This work <laughs> goes on and on. We are steering a big ship. But I do think that now is the time um, where we're starting to see some real movement. Um, the NRA is not the organization that it, it once was. It's in uh, bankruptcy um, court proceedings right now. And if anyone's paying attention, um, a lot of the stuff coming out of there is, it's pretty telling that they're really all about following the money and not about uh, the best interests of the American people. Um, I do think um, that is, long as we um, keep asking our voices to be heard, um, I think we do have a chance to um, make some real changes going forward. Um, but one thing I do want to emphasize is, you know, these kind of common sense um, gun legislations that we're talking about in no way violate the Second Amendment. You know, the extremists um, say that anything that we try to do, they say, well, what about our Second Amendment rights? No one is talking about repealing the Second Amendment. There are ways that we can reduce um, gun violence across our country and still respect the Second Amendment as it was written. Thank you very much for coming to this. Well, we definitely appreciate the invitation. Yeah, of course. Have a good one, guys. Yeah, you All right, too. thank you. Take care. That's all for today from the YPC Podcast. I'm Richard Liu. Thank you for listening, and see you soon.